You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. You can follow me if you want to, but uh, I'm going to do a little bit of review. And I would say just open your Bibles over to Luke chapter 12, uh, because that's where we're going to go in a couple of minutes here. But uh, we started this series uh, just last week, and I I just called it Use It or Lose It. We started last week, and... uh, you know, again, I call this use it or lose it because the place I feel like the Lord is taking us in this series is, uh, and we'll start today, but to talk about what our role is. And I know, I know we, we, we go around this subject all the time. I think, I think my primary role in your life is to help you grow in Christ and take up the ministry that he has for you out there in your life, which is everywhere in your life. But so we started this um, over in Genesis chapter one, and we looked at verses 26 through 28 last week. And because we're talking about, and so we started with creation, the creation of mankind. And the scripture there tells us that we were created by God for certainly for relationship with him, but also we were created by him and set in the earth to be stewards over his creation. So, and the reason for that is because I wanted you to realize that this idea of our stewardship, our role, our partnership with God, it's absolutely foundational to the reason that God created us. And it's foundational to who we are. When we get looking later at what Jesus taught about stewardship and about what God has put into our hands and how we handle it. One of the things he says, uh, you know, like in the parable of the talents, when he comes back and he talks to the people about how they used what they had and how they brought increase to it, one of the things he says is enter into the joy of your master. I believe that the only place we find the level of joy and satisfaction in life that we can have is when we discover what God has called us. And I know we use that term calling, like, you know, we are all called. It means to be invited and summoned. It's this combination of invitation of a friend and summons from the judge. It's, it's that combination in the Greek. But, but there's an invitation out there to partner with him in life. And that doesn't mean being a full-time minister for most people. It means where you live, with your relationships, with your life. It means living in partnership with God and expressing him in everything that you do. And so so we went back to creation and we talked about this and we, we found that, and just a couple of things, God created man, he created mankind, and he created them male and female. And there came that point that we looked at a little later where he he took he took the woman out of man. He separated them. And, and the idea there is we're different. Men and women are different and they're supposed to be different. How many can say, thank God? I'm, can't you? Aren't you glad for that? I love it. We're physically different. That's awesome. But, but we're also emotionally and psychologically, we're different. But God made us both. And, and he, it says, he blessed them. 
And he gave them, he gave them both. He blessed them both. He gave them both dominion in the earth and he gave them both the same assignment. And then the whole point is for us to come together and complement one another, to come together with strengths and weaknesses. And of course, that happens also between between one man with another in the body of Christ. We all have different gifts. God loves to bring diversity together into harmony. That's what the Bible term unity means. It means diversity, not just for diversity's sake, but to harmonize with one another and create a greater whole. And so we see that that was, that was all part of his plan and the way that he, he worked this. And we are supposed to be, and we are made to be complementary to one another. But the same assignment, the same blessing, uh, all of that uh, was given to both man and woman. We're all called to be co-laborers with God in everything we do. And then we went over, and and I'm skipping a lot. I mean, if you weren't here, you really should get last week. It was very foundational to what we're going to talk about. We looked at Genesis 2-5 for a while, and it, it says, When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth, because, for, because the Lord God had not yet, number one, sent rain, okay? And that speaks of what only God can do, all right? So what only God can do wasn't present yet. And, and then there were no people to cultivate the soil. And so to me, that the point of that is that fruit was not really going to start coming forth from the earth, until first of all, and and the reason I'm getting into this is because I believe this is true for every aspect of our life. This is what we need to produce fruit for the Lord. We need, first of all, what only God can do. We need his grace. We need his favor. We need his wisdom, the wisdom that only he has. How, How many things do we face in life that we go, I don't have a clue as to how to address this, but God you do, and I need your wisdom. And the, and the Bible says he gives it to us freely without criticizing us. He gives us his wisdom. He loves to give us, give us his wisdom. So we need his wisdom. We need his favor. There are a lot of things that we set out to do that we might be able to make happen, but with God's favor, there'll be 20 times as much fruit from that effort. So we need all kinds of things. God's provision, the provision that comes surprisingly, the, the opportunities, you know, Nanette just shared with us about a couple of opportunities that have opened up that she didn't feel qualified for. Well, how, I, I think that's the life we're supposed to be living. If we're living by faith, it's, and it, it's that we approach things, if God's putting it on our heart, then there's a part of that God has to do, all right? But it didn't stop there. It wasn't that God, through the rain, was going to make everything grow and produce and man was just going to sit back. The other part of it was there was no person, there were no people on the earth yet to till the soil. And we saw that that term, uh, till the soil or cultivate, uh, it's translated different ways. It speaks of craftsmanship or artisanship that's used in the service of another, and of course, in this case, in service of God. It's us putting our part, our creativity, the creativity God has given us. When we talk about stewardship, one of the big points is everything we are and everything we have 
belongs to God, comes from God. There's none of it that is our own. We're just managers of it. We are just overseers of it. That's true of your, your skills, your physical being, your talents, your, your mental capacity, uh, certainly your spiritual life. We're supposed to steward all those things and, and see them grow. But this is so inherent to who God called us to be that nothing was being produced There was the life was not coming forth that God desired until what only God could do was there and people that were that were there to partner with him and to bring forth fruit in that way. Does that make sense to you? All right. And then we didn't really talk about this. I touched on a little bit, but what I wanted I wanted to emphasize that okay, so all of that is great in chapter one and chapter two. Then in chapter three, man blows it and falls. Okay. So what happened then? Well, what we see is that when mankind sinned and fell in the garden, and obviously things changed dramatically, we invited. We invited sin and death into the earth. So, I'm trying to think of a really nice way to say this, because it really gets under my skin. Okay, that's a good way to say it. Thank you, Lord. There are people all over, and this is the truth, that do not understand, or maybe they reject the idea, I think most of them have never even conceived of it, that mankind is responsible for the sin and the death that entered the earth. That was not God's original design. We don't see it in the garden. We don't see it in the ministry of Jesus, and we don't see it in heaven. It wasn't God's design. The rest of all of that is influenced by us and our fall. So when the reason I say is because people all over, I see it all the time on Facebook. People come back and and somebody will share a blessing or something. Well, then why does God allow, you know, why does, if he's so great, why why is there evil in the earth? It's not him, it's us. And what he did about that in Genesis chapter three, if you look at what he did, the first thing he did was curse the devil, curse the serpent, not the people, the serpent. And then he announced to the people, here's the consequences of what you just did, which I warned you about ahead of time. Okay, we talked about that last week. Here are the consequences. Adam, the earth that I made is still going to bring forth fruit, but it's going to be by the sweat of your brow and there's going to be thorns and thistles. Try living in New Mexico, Arizona. Thorns, thistles. Everywhere, everything has spines on it, okay? It's still a wonderful place, but get a little tired of the thorns and thistles. But so weeds are going to grow. It's not going to be the way I designed it to be. It's going to be hard to bring forth life, to bring forth fruit, okay? Tells the woman it's going to be really hard now to bring forth fruit. It's going to be hard. Pregnancy and childbearing are going to be hard now. It's possible, but it's going to be hard. And that applies to Everything we believe God for in this earth, it, it pulling in uh, the will of God and the purposes of God into this earth through faith, it is a wrestling match and a, and a battle, not with God, but because of all of this that's gone on, sin and death entering the earth. So he announces all that to them, but right then he announces his plan of salvation. And he said, I'm going to bring it about to where the seed of the woman, the descendant of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. He announces Jesus coming right then in the garden. He didn't, 
Well, and then he actually uh, took skins from animals and made coverings for them. Here they were feeling shame about their nakedness, which God never intended for them to feel. And instead of saying, well, it's your own stupid fault, he covers them. And in that is this picture of the blood of animals beginning there to cover, not erase, only the blood of Jesus erases sin, but to cover. He made a covering. He took care of them in their mess. And then, I keep thinking of different things, then he did keep them away from the tree of life at that point. Because he said, don't, don't let them now that death has entered into them, don't let them eat from the tree of life and live forever. Can you imagine if we were in our sin condition and we all got to live forever? We'd still be dealing with Genghis Khan. We'd still be dealing with Adolf Hitler. We'd still be dealing with the, with the greatest wickedness. We have enough wickedness without having it last forever with every person. It was a protection thing. It, it wasn't, we don't see, so my point is God did not revoke the blessing or the assignment or the, or the um, design that he had given to man and placed him in the earth to partner with God and to produce. He didn't revoke it at that point. There was an old Simpsons episode. I never watched The Simpsons, but somebody told me about it. <laughs> Where, and I don't even remember the story. Whoever told me didn't make it clear probably. But no, uh, all I remember is that Adam and Eve were in the garden, which of course were Homer and Marge. And uh, they blew it, whatever they did. I don't even remember how the story was. All I remember is the scene of the way that was dealt with was this giant hand came down and flicked them <laughs> out of the garden. That's not what happened. God didn't do it that way, okay? He took care and he protected, but he also allowed the consequences. And that's part of him giving us the authority and dominion. He didn't take it away. He didn't say, okay, you did that. Now I'm going I'm to give what I told you you could have. I'm giving it to the elephants, okay? I'm, I'm just, they're, they're better, they're smarter, they live longer. I'm going to give it to that. He didn't do that. But he did start working that plan of salvation. So nothing has changed. We have forever, and this applies to every person. Whether they ever connect with God or not, there's an accountability because there's always an accountability where stewardship and responsibility is given. And, and that's who we are. And, that's, and that's, um, that's where we live. So with that, let's just start talking about, uh, did you find Luke chapter 12 yet? Hopefully. Uh, we're going to start looking. There's a lot in this chapter, actually. Jesus talks a lot in this chapter, directly and indirectly, about this whole idea of stewardship. But uh, let's just start here in verse uh, 42. And it says, The Lord said, Who then is this? Is the faithful and wise steward of the estate? This is amplified whom his master will put in charge over his household to give his servants their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed, happy, prosperous, to be admired is that servant whom his master finds so doing when he arrives. Truly, I tell you, he will set him in charge over all his possessions. All right, there's a lot 
in these verses. But I want you to notice that the first thing he says then is who is the faithful and wise steward. All right. And then a little bit later, just notice this with me. He first calls this person a steward and he describes their job. And then just a little farther down, he says, blessed is that servant. All right. So a steward is always a servant. A steward is someone who is put in charge, but is still a servant of the one who's ultimately in charge. So there is authority and responsibility given to a steward, but they are always accountable to the one who owns everything. Okay, so we know from Psalm 24, for instance, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything that is in this planet, everything that's on this, it all belongs to God. And we have been made managers or stewards over some of it, over some things. All right. So this word, this this Greek word, this translated steward, this is kind of long, but it means the administrator or manager of a large house or business the administrator or the manager of a large house or business. It speaks of an overseer and a treasurer. All right, so the idea is this person who is a steward has been given delegated authority. All authority that we have, number one, is delegated from God. All authority comes from God. And all authority, and this is true in general, given by God is intended to be used to serve, not to dominate. You can see that throughout the scripture. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. He had all authority, but he laid down his life to serve. We are called to serve one another. We are called to to submit one to another. We are called. And, And so these verses, let me just finish this definition. This person is given a delegated authority to manage the goods and finances of the house or business. So there's, there's uh, and they're, they're given that for the purpose of taking care of others and making sure that the other servants in the house are able to be fed at the right time, be clothed, uh, have their needs taken care of and be able to do their job as servants. This makes sense. So, so this person is set over the household with authority to manage that household, but they're managing that household so that the other servants can do their job and can live well. So the, the picture here is that what God puts into our charge, we are number one, accountable to him over it. And number two, it is to be used to make other people's lives better. But the steward also lived off of the wealth of the household. All right, so the steward didn't have to, the steward didn't, his job wasn't, okay, make sure that everything that the master owns, that that's used for somebody else. Now I got to go figure out how to eat. It wasn't like that. They were also given uh, the goods, the wealth, the, the stuff of the household to be able to live their lives. It's just that there was much more there than they needed and they were to manage the rest to help others. All right, so the steward is a servant, always feeds from the household. The only reason later um, later in this passage, actually, and in others, the only reason a steward can abuse their authority and abuse, misuse the goods of the household is because they've been given access 
to the goods of the household. Does that make sense to you? So it's not like you're sitting out here and your whole life, God's not going to take care of you, but you better take care of other people. That's not the idea here. The idea here is you've been given some authority and you've been given things to manage and we do it for the good of others. Honestly, that's just the definition of agape love anyway, is living for another person's good. That's what, that's what agape love is. All right. So God has given every one of us things to steward. And just thinking of just a handful of them this morning, uh, we are we are given, let's, let's start with, we are given time. All right, time. Every one of us have the same amount of time. I don't want to go off on that. Every one of us have the same amount. I mean, you know, our lives aren't all the same length, but in a day, we all have the same amount of time. We are responsible to manage our time for the increase of God's kingdom in us and around us. That doesn't mean that's the only thing we do or that everything, it means that in everything we do is the thought of, God, what do you want done? In the, What do you want done in our home? What do you want done in our business? What do you want done in this conversation? What do you want done here? My time belongs to him. And my responsibility is to manage it well for him. Okay, for his purposes. All right, so time. We have, every one of us have a soul. So our spirit, if we've given our life to Jesus Christ, our spirit is a brand new creation in Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in our spirit, but our soul, our mind, our emotions, and our will is in a process of renovation, a process of remodeling. And so the Lord is taking some things down, building other things up. He's changing the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we choose. He is changing us from the inside out. Well, we have a responsibility, the Bible says, guard your heart above everything else for out of it flow the issues of life. We have a responsibility to actually guard and keep our heart, our soul. We, we have a we have a responsibility to guard what comes into our hearts. We have a responsibility to guard what comes in through our eyes and through our ears, what comes in, what we do with our thought life, what thoughts we allow to take root in us and what thoughts we do not allow to take root in us. We have that responsibility. The Holy Spirit will help us. And, and please get this. None of this uh, that I'm going to talk about is a burden on you to do this by yourself and otherwise God's going to be displeased and throw, flick you out of the garden, okay? That's not the idea. It is to be a partnership. That's what the Lord wants. It's to be a partnership. He will equip you. He will, he will give you the power of his spirit and his life. He'll help you with your thought life. He'll help you maintain your physical body. We have a physical body. And someday we're going to get one that walks through walls, okay? But we don't have that one yet. So part of our stewardship responsibility is over our heart, our mind, our soul. Some of it's over our body. Certainly our relationship with the Lord, which is a part of heart and soul. We have a, we have a responsibility. And to me, that really connects into how I use my time. Because if I don't manage my time well, if I let other distractions and things come into my life and I, and I prioritize the wrong things, then I, I'm telling you that the devil will chase you in circles for the rest of your life and you'll be really busy, but you won't have time to really connect with God. Because his kingdom, he's trying to bring about his kingdom. Well, he said the kingdom of God is within you. It's got to start in here. The kingdom 
the place where the King Jesus Christ rules as Lord, that begins in here before we can share that out here. All right? And so we all have, we have all these things. We have, uh, we have time. We have, we have our, our um, we have relationships. All right? Relationships are a God thing. And, and for us to, they're a responsibility to us to manage our relationships in, on both ends. Sometimes you have to, there are relationships that we shouldn't have because they're not feeding in to the growth of the kingdom in us or out from us. And we are not ministering to the people on the other end of that relationship. We are not growing anything in them. It's just pulling us down a rabbit hole. That's a relationship that at least for the time being, you probably shouldn't have. And that's tough. Well, yep, that's tough. It's tough. It's hard sometimes to say, you know what? This relationship, I mean, the modern word would be this is toxic. And I don't mean that just in, I'm talking about spiritually toxic. If it's spiritually toxic, you need to start praying about it and find a way out of it. If it's your marriage, uh, let's talk about it. (laughs) Okay, that's because there's a covenant there. But I'm talking about friendships, acquaintances, things like that. We manage relationships, all right? We manage, God has given you influence in some people's lives in various different, all kinds of different levels. That's part of our stewardship is to manage our influence. You can't just keep it all inside and be afraid to influence other people. There's a whole, there's a whole stream in our society that thinks it's wrong to influence other people. They think it's wrong to influence your children. For you, parent, for you, parent, is who I'm talking to, to influence your children. I was wanting to say, well, that's crazy, but I was trying to think, of, oh, did I say that out loud? Well, that's crazy, okay? That's not, that's, that's contrary to what the Bible teaches about your influence as parents and, and for your children, all right? So um, their influence is a big deal. And then obviously our material goods. I mean, our things, not just our money, but the things that God brings into our life. Some of it is seed to sow, some of it's bread to eat. Both of those things are holy. Eating is holy. Using what God's brought you is holy if you're doing it unto him. And giving is holy if you're doing it unto him. So it's really our attitude in it that makes it holy or not holy. So we said this last week, but the, the, there are two primary characteristics that it tells us here that God's looking for in a steward and their faithfulness and wisdom. Faithfulness and wisdom. All right, and I believe we defined faithfulness last week. We'll probably get back to that. But wisdom is correct application of truth in everyday life. Not just of opinion, not application of opinion, not application of, you know, the habits we grew up with or, you know, whatever. Wisdom comes from God. It says he gives wisdom from his mouth. He gives wisdom from his word. And every one of us, it's a lifelong thing, especially because everything keeps changing around us to learn and to get from God, okay, how do I apply truth and love to this situation, to this relationship, to this area of influence, to, to this part of society, to this change in my workplace? How do I apply your wisdom? You know, and he wants to have that connection with us. But, but that's what he's, he says here, who is the faithful and wise steward, okay? 
whom his master will put in charge over his household to give his servants their portion of food at the proper time. So you can see there with through the wisdom of God and through our faithfulness, people get ministered to, people get taken care of. So let's go on down a little, or no, actually, let me give you a couple of other. Um, this thing of faithfulness, I want to bring this out. We have a few minutes left. We talked about this a little last week and no doubt we'll talk about it some more because it is the core characteristic, faithfulness, integrity, honesty, those core characteristics of good stewardship. Um, We have a lot of questions, a lot of us, about the end times and, you know, when's the rapture going to happen? Is it before the tribulation? Is it after the tribulation? Is it this? Is it that? Uh, what does this mean? What does this look like? What are we seeing now? I mean, we're seeing some things that are that are right now, uh, and, and they have happened before in history, but we're seeing some things right now with, with government saying, well, if you don't take this vaccine, you can't buy or sell, you know, that kind of thing. Those are clearly laid out in the book of Revelation. The idea that government will step in and say, unless you take this mark at that point, I don't believe that what we're seeing now is uh, what we see in the book of Revelation. But as I heard Bill Johnson say recently, it's a really good dress rehearsal for it. I think anytime we see human government stepping in and saying, you, we will not let you buy and sell unless you comply with something, whatever it might be, no matter whether you agree with, with what they're wanting to do or not, that's not really the point. That issue is not the issue. The issue is that is, is the spirit of Antichrist working in government. I believe that. Uh, so what we do with that is important, but we all have these questions about, well, you know, what about, what, what am I going to do? What if, what if the tribulation starts? What if, all this stuff. My whole end times theology is built right here uh, out of a couple of scriptures. It, it's based on stewardship. It's based on being faithful to what he called me to be and to do. And, in, and I'll just give you these verses. You can write them down in Luke chapter 18, verse 8. Luke 18, 8. All right. He says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find, the Amplified says, persistence in faith on earth. A lot of translations just say, will he find faith on earth? The word translated faith there is actually the word faithfulness. So he's saying, when I come back, what I'm going to be looking for is faithfulness. Okay, it's, it's faithfulness. Earlier in this chapter, uh, I'm going to read to you Luke 12, 35 through 37. But if you read down through the chapter, this is an incredible chapter, by the way. So much is covered in this chapter. But he comes through and he tells us, first of all, he goes through, you know, it's part, we have it over in Matthew as part of the Sermon on the Mount. He comes through and he says, hey, don't worry about what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat. And don't get all caught up in that. And he says, the whole pagan world is running after that. And, and look at the birds of the air and look at the flowers and look at the things that God takes care of. His point is be confident in God and don't get pulled aside and distracted by your needs or by all the stuff happening in the earth. Don't let that pull you off of your purpose, okay? And he comes down and, and he talks to us. He says, he makes it really simple. Kingdom of God first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. He, he comes down, he makes these different statements. He says, don't worry, don't be distressed, little flock. The father's 
it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Okay, he says all of these, all of these things, and then in in verse thirty five, he says this. He says, "Keep your loins girded." That means being ready. That's ready to run. That's this idea. I'm ready to run. I'm ready to serve. I'm in a I'm in a an attitude of readiness that I carry in my life. Keep your loins girded and your lamps burning. And we know that that, you know, those those lamps in those days, they were oil lamps and and the Holy Spirit the in the Bible oils a picture of the Holy Spirit. So it's this picture of this this unit that gives off light because that oil is being burned. That oil, the Holy Spirit is flowing up through our life and is giving light to the whole world around us. So he says, "Keep your loins girded, keep your lamps burning." And be like men who are waiting for their master to return home from the marriage feast, so that when he returns from the wedding and comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed, happy, fortunate, and to be envied are those servants whom the master finds awake and alert and watching when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will gird himself, have them recline at table, and we'll come and we'll serve him, okay? I believe those two passages tell us most of what we need to know about the end times. It's fine to study that stuff. It's fine to look into it. It's interesting stuff. You're never going to answer all the questions. You can find doctrine on every side of all those issues. But the important thing is that we be found doing what he left us here to do when he comes back. And if I'm doing that and I'm in the wrong line, if I'm in the after-trib line or the before-trib line or something, an angel will come and tell me to get in the right line, okay? I'll be in the right place. As long as I'm just a simple person, this works for me. Focus on what God's doing in you right now, what he's building in you right now, what he's calling you to be and to do, because none of us are fully doing that probably, and just grow, just get plugged into him. Spend your time in passionate relationship with him and letting that flow out, and you're going to be okay. I'm not saying be ignorant of everything going on around us. I think we have to keep our eyes open and see things and, and all that, but I can say this. I didn't mean to get into any of this. I have to, and I suspect you do too, be careful about how much stuff you're taking in you know, from the world, from the news, from social media, from all that, because a lot of it's not even true in the first place. So much of it is manipulative from every side right now on politics. You can have, you should have opinions. Um, I can't understand how a person's political or social uh, opinions can't, cannot be shaped by their inward convictions. I mean, I think they have to be. It's, we, we should have those and, and we should be involved because we have the privilege of being involved in, in our uh, government and society. That's great. Not everybody has that today and hasn't had that throughout history. That's all great. But when it's all said and done, all of that's going to be gone. All of that's going to be gone. The kingdom and God's word are still going to be there. And, and you're not going to stand in front of any political figure and give an account for your life in the end. You're going to stand before the Lord. And, and that's where our accounting is going to come. We are his servants, his stewards. 
And he's given us important stuff to manage. Your life is so important. Your influence is so important. And I just, you know, I know I've talked about this some late. I'm just really concerned about the level that we are giving ourselves on all sides. Christians on all sides of the political spectrum, giving themselves to a spirit of fear, to a spirit of offense, especially. Man, the spirit of offense has always been one of the primary tools the devil has used to separate believers, to to break up churches, to break up ministries, to break up marriages, to break up whatever. Because in division, man, it's in unity. It's It's in that diversity, in harmony, that there's so much strength and the devil hates it. And so it's so easy right now to get sucked in, to get pulled out, to get so freaked out about stuff that's going on, no matter which side of it you're on. I've never seen it so strongly where both sides are panicking. I've never seen it so strongly. That is the devil's work. And we've got to be smart enough not to get pulled into that. So anyway, I think our thing is to be doing what he's left us here to do. So let me, let me, uh, well, let's go on and catch this next passage before we're done. We've just got a few minutes left. Let's at least dig into this. This is going on in verse 45, Luke 12, 45. So Jesus says all this, and then he says, but, okay, who is the faithful and wise servant who, who does his thing and does it right and takes care of people? But if that servant in his heart, so the heart issue always comes before the, before the action, all right? What's going on in your heart is going to lead to your actions. If that servant says in his heart, my master is taking time in coming. In other words, faithfulness is tested by the passage of time. Will you stand and pray? Will you still be being faithful? You know, we just said it. When I come back, Jesus said, am I going to find faithfulness on the earth? Am I going to find that consistent application, that consistent doing what I'm supposed to do, no matter what comes against me. Am I going to find that on the earth? It says, the, he says in his heart, my master is taking t- his time and coming. Man, this has been a long time. You can see hope fading here. You can see somebody getting pulled off course by distractions. And so that, so that steward begins to beat the servants, both men and women. So those people they're supposed to be taken care of, they start to abuse, all right? and to eat and drink and get drunk. So that stuff they're supposed to be taking care of, they start to consume only on themselves. That's what that's about. The master of that servant, <laughs> sweet, loving Jesus, the master on that, of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour that he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. That word unbelievers is sometimes translated unfaithful. All right, so... Uh, you know, that's that's one of those verses that people don't like to read. But there is an accountability over this stuff. And again, it just doesn't, we don't have to take this like, you know, don't let fear come on you about your stewardship. It's a partnership. God's made it a partnership. He's there with his grace to empower you. We all make mistakes, but that's not what this is. This is, I've gotten tired. I haven't seen it happen. And I'm just going to quit. I'm going to do my own thing. And I'm going to start focusing on the stuff I want to focus on. And I'm going to start using what God has given me for, just for my benefit. All right. And in that, there's, there's abuse. All right. All the authority that God has given, the management, the influence he's given us is there to serve him and to serve 
people. And I just, I just can't quite stop there. It doesn't mean we, we some, so many times, and, and sometimes because of things that have happened in our life, we start talking about serving people and, and we draw back because we feel like, oh, I'm going to get walked on. I'm going to be a doormat. God's not talking about that here. He's talking about you being empowered, having this privileged place in your life that honors him and him flooding your life with his grace and his provision and all the stuff that only he can do. And you being able, being so free in him and knowing who all this belongs to anyway, that when he says, give it away, you can give it away. When he says, eat it and enjoy it, you can eat it and enjoy it. Everything you or I do can be, I've, I've got to stop, but I've, I'm going to stop on this point, I promise. I, I think I will. Everything that we do can be holy or unholy based on whether we're doing it unto God and from his anointing in us or not. A couple examples. Paul talked about that in his day there was food, remember, that was being sacrificed to idols and the Christians were nervous about eating it because it had been sacrificed to idols. He said, if you receive that food, there's more to it than just this, but this part was, you can go and don't even worry about what you buy in the marketplace. When you go to city market, we don't know, you know, if you've sacrificed that meat to, to idols. Or, we're pretty sure you haven't. But, but no, when, when you go, he said, don't even worry about what you get in the marketplace. Some of it has been sacrificed to idols, but through your gratitude, through your thanksgiving, it is sanctified to your use. He said that uh, in, a, in a marriage where there's a believer and an unbeliever, he said, you know, if it gets abusive, he made, there was a, there's a place there for getting out of that for sure. But he said, you know, if you can stick in there as a believer, your children are sanctified through your faith in that situation. There are several different passages uh, in the scripture that show that something that would have been considered unclean was made clean by the faith and the gratitude of a Christian. Okay, so anything we do, wherever you work, you know, whatever you do, the main thing is follow the leading of the Lord, but don't ever forget when it gets hard that you bring light into that place, even when you can't see it at all. I believe the anointing and the presence of God that you carry into that place makes a difference. And we don't get to see it all. We don't get to see. I don't think until we see the videos in heaven, are we going to see what happened and what spiritual. I hope that if you work in a place that's really dark and demonic and and oppressive and, and humanistic, I just believe when you walk in there, the demons are pressed against the wall. The, there is chaos and confusion in the kingdom of darkness just because of the presence of God on you. So be a good steward over what God's put in your hands. We better stand up and pray. Okay. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Father God, Lord, you're so good. And Father, you have given every one of us an amazing calling. I mean, a lot of times in our lives, Lord, we just can't see 
what's going on. But Father, we trust because of what you have said, what you've called, the way that you've created us. Father God, that Lord, as we go out of this place, as we go into all these different aspects of our world, we believe, Father, we carry your presence and it makes a difference. Lord, we carry your words. We carry your life in our hearts. We carry your love for people on the inside of us. And Father, we believe that as light enters dark places, darkness is dispelled. And we thank you so much for it. And Father, we ask you to show us, Lord, with this issue of stewardship and show us, Lord, so that we can be thankful, first of all, all the incredible things that you have poured into our lives. And then show us, Lord, what your will is and how to manage these things well. We can only do it by your wisdom, your strength, your life. And we thank you for it this morning, Lord. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you get anything out of that? All right. We're going to be dismissed this morning. There's snacks out there. Hang around, fellowship, love on one another. We're going to be dismissed on the count of three. Say Jesus is Lord over the Gunness and Basin in the world. We'll go out and be the church, right? One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunness and Basin and the world. Amen. Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.